Hello and welcome to Joining the Dots, a fun podcast where we chat with and get to know some of the wonderful artists in the Dots and Loops family. My name is Connor Donato and on this episode I have a chat with Benjamin Shannon. We talk about all things conduction, take a deep dive into his compositional mind and really explore all the spaces between notated and improvised music. Just a couple of warnings on this episode, there is some expletive language, so if you are sensitive to that, maybe skip this one. Also, we had a couple of tech issues, Um, please excuse them. Okay, enjoy! Hi! My name is Connor Donato, Associate Director of Dots and Loops, Australia's post-genre concert series, and welcome to our podcast, Joining the Dots. I would like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we are gathered, in particular the Yagara and Turbal people, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. I am so delighted to be here with one of the nicest blokes in the Brisbane music scene, Benjamin Shannon. Ben is a percussionist, composer, educator, originally hailing from the Sunshine Coast, whose work spans an impressive breadth of musical genres, from all kinds of jazz to contemporary classical to prog rock to experimental music. As a performer, you can find him in a plethora of of local acts, including Milton Mango, Kodiak Empire, Shaman, just to name a few. And he's also worked as part of the team on Sydney-based record label Artist Catharsis. He also joined Dots and Loops on stage in 2018 and 2019, and we can't wait to have him back soon. Ben, welcome to the podcast. How are you going, Connor? Thank you so much for having me. It's, Thank you uh, for having me in this blanket fort in your um, in your house. A pleasure to be in a blanket fort again. It's been a long time. It has been. Nice. A, it's been a very long time. I've seen. I've. I haven't had to had to make a blanket fort for the podcast yet, but Flora has been sending me pictures from her doing so and enjoying it. Um. So yeah. Happy days. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just so that listeners can get a bit of um, a bit of a get to know you a little better, I have three quick questions. Um, first off, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? <sighs> That's a good question. Um, <laughs> cookies and cream, I'd say. Cookies and cream. Yeah, I'm a big fan of cookies and cream. Okay. Yeah. Good. Um, describe your favorite shirt. T-shirt or shirt? Uh, yeah. Loud and vivacious. That is my favorite. Do you type have of like? Shirt. Do you have like a particular shirt that's your favorite? I just have varying um, degrees of Hawaiian shirts I like to wear. <laughs> I can think of one specifically I really like yeah. that is very loud and very over the top. And and we were talking about this uh, prior to the podcast. But just ha- wearing slightly larger shirts. I yep. don't know. It's something I enjoy. Just yep. having yep slightly oversized slightly shirts oversized great. shirts. Yep. Okay. And uh, lastly, what do you listen to when you're on a road trip? A lot of podcasts, okay. uh, a lot of experimental jazz, a lot of free jazz. It oh, depends cool. who I'm with. Yeah. If I'm with people, then probably not that <laughs> for <laughs> obvious reasons. It's not that, that not that palatable unless those people are into that. Unless but if, I, if I'm cruising around on my own, yeah. um, 
a lot. I'm a big football tragic, I must admit, as in as in soccer. Okay. Um, so I do listen to a lot of uh, soccer analysis and podcasts and stuff, which is quite hilarious. Oh, cool. I I really enjoy ABC, like six oh, yeah. twelve ABC Brisbane. So I'm like often mm-hmm. if you're up late of a night or between eleven and twelve, you hear the quiz show. You might actually hear me ring up, <laughs> and that's quite embarrassing. Oh, um, that's great. So keep a keep an ear out for that. But yeah, generally a lot of long form stuff for whether that's a long form podcast or you know, a, a really long album or concept oh, yeah. album or a se- you know, I might get really stuck into a specific artist and just listen to... The whole discography. Qu- yeah, 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 and just try and really get yeah, inside yeah. What, what they're about and what they're trying to convey and all that, I guess. So, yeah. We first met, I think, either 2015 or 2016 when you were filling in for a colleague in like a pop boy band-esque kind of outfit. I remember, yeah, yeah that was um, at South Bank. I remember it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and we chatted to each other on a couple of passing occasions at gigs and stuff. But it wasn't until a couple of years later that I think I realized how many cool, amazing things you do. And there are a lot of them. It's kind of hard. Like I, I mentioned like three bands before, but the list is huge. Like what? Kodiak Empire, Milton Mango, Brisbane Conduction Orchestra, Shaman, June Cartel, The Duty Men, Ben Shan- Shannon Trio are just some of the ones that you have on your website. I'm imagining there's so many more. Yeah, um, there's, there's a lot of different things. Um, they're not all active at any given time, which if they were, I probably would, <laughs> would, wouldn't be yeah. breathing right now. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. Um, but that's part of the fun too, like having that um, variety in projects and constantly shifting and having to, I guess, get inside a different mindset for when I'm playing whatever specific style that is and what the music demands um, yeah whether I'm more of an ancillary member of that project or if I'm kind of more right you know writing a lot of the music for it will kind of dictate my involvement or requirements for that project I guess um but there's like stuff like Volta's Ash 2 Volta's Ash Big Band um Strangely Enough, which is a project of Greg Ollie, a dear friend of mine. Um, I've started playing drums for a hip-hop group called Safety Club. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of different things happening. Um, and what, like, like I, I think is so, like, awesome and stands out is that they are so varied in, like, the kind of music that mm. they are, which, like, I, I, I love that approach. And I was like, how did you get into that? How did you... Not well. I guess how did you get into music? But like, how did you get into being involved in as a, as a drummer and as a percussionist and as a composer in so many different kinds of music? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I've never actually stopped and thought about. I don't think I do that enough. I don't know about you, Connor, but I'll take stock and actually reflect. 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 There's a, there's a new word. Fun. Um, yeah. Reflect on what I've done or how I've got to that point in time or whatever. I mean, I yeah. think it's important to do that because I'm always just looking for the next thing. Um, I started playing drums when I was about 10. Um, I can't remember exactly why I started. Yeah. I must have seen like, I don't know, a live Nirvana video or like Red Hot Chili Peppers. It would have been yep. something like that, you yep. know, and gone, that looks cool. I want to do that. I had a really inspiring first teacher, uh, Luke Williams from Dead Letter Circus. Oh, cool. Um, which is really surreal that, um, mates with him and yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, hang I, out with him and stuff. It's just a super a great cool band full circle well, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I grew up playing in, I, I was very lucky to um, have a lot of fantastic friends that I grew up playing music with through school. And a lot of that's just Russian roulette in terms of what kids are in your class, what yeah. they're into that. I was just very fortunate that, you know, I was jamming with, um, you know, my best mates since like kind of year five, six, seven kind of thing. So I was always playing a lot of metal and rock um, pretty much every weekend from like 
year six nice, to yeah. like year twelve, um, and like an original metal band, which there are still there's still footage of that up online, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, we might have to track that down. Yeah, um, so yeah. that band, I'm actually that band is still active. It's called Found in Trees. We don't oh, cool. gig that often because we're all busy with work and that, but it's kind of like a passion sort of love project, and that's my really. Um, heavy musical outlet in terms of just really disgustingly filthy, heavy, heavy uh, metal prog kind of stuff. So I grew up playing a lot of that. I think my my brother showed me a lot of music too. Having an older brother was was really good for that, and um, kind of just fell into a lot of the heavier stuff. But then inversely to that, I was doing orchestras and and community brass bands and that, which my mum encouraged me to do. And at the time, I as was a percussionist, like, yeah, yeah, exactly, diversifying all that. And at the time, I was like, I don't want to do this. I just wanted to play blast beats and, yep. and you know, hit things really loud. Um, but that was the best thing for me, looking back on it. So I think even from that young age, playing, you know, I remember doing like we had this gig at a bakery uh, at Mountain Creek on the Sunshine Coast where we'd get paid like $10 and play just like classic rock covers. And then I, I've, one day I did that and then later that afternoon I was um, – playing in a church for like a community brass band gig. So I, even without even realising it from that that age, I was doing a lot of different things already. Yeah, right. Probably just really like obviously really enjoying that. And then as I was getting older, sort of wanting to just expand on what those different bands or projects or things could entail. So, yeah. I think that's fascinating because like in, it's so like I totally understand the roulette of like who's around you at the time because like i remember so many variables hey? yeah yeah because like mm. i like you know i'm mostly a classical background violin piano singing blah 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 but like i had a get I, I wanted to learn bass guitar and i got a bass guitar and i never really got into it i, I barely learned it never really got into it because none of my friends around me were in were like into that at For the sure. time there, yeah, were, yeah. there was no the one playing context is key in environment hey. yeah there was no mm. one playing uh, there was no one playing electric guitar there was no one playing drums at least not like my close friends and stuff so i just didn't do it yeah like i kind of learned it a little bit at home but like playing bass guitar isn't fun by itself totally yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you want to play bass guitar so you can be in a band and because i never really had the opportunity to be in a band i just never got to do that you know? For sure, or experience, it's like, why am I learning this instrument? What do yeah. I use this for? Not having, I find that with a lot of kids I'm teaching at school too, they've maybe previously or in, in prior lessons, they haven't really been given much context for why they're learning the instrument they're learning and where that leads towards, or even with a lot yeah, of yeah. general school learning as well. Like there's not, it doesn't seem to be, at least in my experience being in the classroom, and that a lot of sort of um, outcome or reasons yeah, right. for why you're learning, especially in music, hey? Yeah, and mm. I think that's, like, you know, so much about mu- music or, like, that, that like, that drives, I, you know, at least I connect most to as a, as a performer, is being in an ensemble with mm. people and, like, playing with people. I, I, you know, I haven't played the violin since high school and I don't particularly want to pick it up. The only reason that I would is so that I could be in an orchestra again For or sure. be in a string quartet again because it's so much fun and connecting with musicians and being part of creating music with other people. And but there's that camaraderie too. Yeah. There's a social aspect. There's that. And, like, and at least in school, if you play a violin, you'll probably be in the school orchestra. Mm. But if you play drums... And like, you know, 20 students, if there are 20 or 10 drum students at a school, there's only one, you know, drum percussion position in the school band or the school orchestra or whatever. There's one or two places. So like, what are the other eight kids 
you know, they don't have maybe if they don't form a band or whatever, they may not re- as They don't readily. have an opportunity to play. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that I, I see that a lot and pushing for more um, opportunities for kids to play in like contemporary settings. But then inversely, you don't want kids to be all the, in, you know, I, I mean, it's totally each to their own and how people want to learn, but I don't think you want kids to be exclusively that way inclined because then they're missing out on a lot of key sort of, you know, theoretical concepts and, and, important aspects of formative musical learning, which is having yeah. a strong foundation. You know, not that yeah, yeah, everyone's yeah. different in how you learn, but it's finding that balance, I think. So, you know, you've mentioned so many of the groups you're in. What what do you have active at the moment? Like, what is going on? What's your current project, I guess? Well, this year's, this year's been... Tricky as it has been for oh, just that's a that's a nice word to use. <laughs> tricky twenty 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 has been tricky. Yeah, lots of different things. Still, um, I'm writing a lot of music at the moment. I'm writing for the next uh, the second Shaman album, which is important. Um, sorry, let me just start that again. Is important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Could you tell me a bit about Shaman? So that's you and Sophie Min? Yeah, yeah. So um, Sophie Min and I, um, that started, we had a recording project for a dear friend of ours, Martin Kay, who's an excellent um, sax player, composer, teacher, all that kind of yeah. thing. So he's teaching at the con at the moment in the classical department. Um, but his background is classical jazz, improvised music, notated music. He just sort of loves all, all kind of things. And he, he's been really inspiring for me for... Um, you know, writing more of that kind of music. So off the back of that recording session for his project Forage, um, Sophie and I started jamming. I had all these compositions that I'd written over the years for other bands that didn't quite, they just, for say like Milton Man Go or, or um, Trio stuff or whatever, they didn't kind of fit that mould. So I, I've always wanted to explore a duo for a long time and, and always loved playing with Sophie. Like we'd done jazz gigs and standard gigs and covers stuff over the years, but um, we just really clicked in that session and then had a few rehearsals and then they were just ridiculously awesome. And then we were like, fuck yeah, this has got a vibe. This is sick. Let's do that. And then from there, we've just kind of both just writing different compositions, bringing them in. Um, a lot of it is atypical to the jazz idiom. So there's like, some sort of a form, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, how would you how would you describe to, like, your... I think Kieran used this analogy with Todd on yeah. um, the last podcast. How would you describe to a cab driver yeah. what, what you do, but, like, in, in the context oh, sure. of Shane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I think with that project, um, the way I like to think of it is that if you... And if you go into an art shop and you see like a canvas and it's got like an outline, you know how you can buy, I, I find it hilarious, but you, you where, where you can, instead of having a blank canvas, there's a canvas and it might have like pen outline of like a, I don't know, some sort of. It's like a colouring and Colouring in, but yeah, it might be like, let's canvas, say it's yeah, like yeah. A, a tree and it's yeah. got, and then you colour it in and paint it and that. So that's how I describe um, the stuff with that project. So it's like, yeah, there's, there's some rules and instructions for what we're playing, but each time we're playing that, we're colouring it differently. And sometimes we might go outside the lines. Sometimes we might go inside the lines. Um, but the, generally, there's the same musical idea of what we want to achieve. But how we go about that is just dependent on how we play, you know. And that stuff I want to, or you know, the psychology of how we're feeling before we even go into that performance. So that that's some stuff I want to look at for tertiary study down the track in terms of like the psychology of improvisation and things like that, because that affects that project a lot it's really interesting how room or space or environment or 
audience can can really or even down to equipment you know so if he's playing a piano or a keyboard or whatever can yeah, really right. affect how they how they respond how, to that instrument as well exactly yeah, and that's then, one of the most yeah. fascinating things about being a pianist it's it's such and i and to some extent with percussion as well mm. um is that the idea like you know a violinist or a guitarist or whatever they have their instrument they practice with their instrument they take their instrument to each gig and a pianist you turn up and it's you know you haven't brought, you haven't shipped a piano with you everywhere. Right? I mean, like there are some artists who do that if they have millions, millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. But like most of the time, you turn up and it's whatever piano is there, um, and you've got to make that work. And you and like how do you respond to that? And I guess to some extent, you may you find that as a drummer, but like most of the time, you can take your own kit. I guess. Yeah. So I like if there's an opportunity for me to take my own gear and use that, I will. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, I'm not too fussy. Yeah. Like I'm fussy about like ancillary things like i need a good pedal and a good stool yeah right it's kind of like everything else if it's there oh, and, and sticks too yeah yeah um but if there's say a, a certain kit and it's got symbols on it and it's fit for purpose as long as it doesn't sound like absolutely atrocious yeah you know right. but even if it does it's like cool let's work with that let's and, work and with make that, sound. that make that you know and what musical decisions i know i'll make because of the the kit or the situation or the gear you know i'll yeah. play that differently and i might arrive at some different musical choices that i may not have explored before or they might be just different because of how i'm feeling towards playing that piece yeah, of equipment right. well i love all that kind of stuff too so that's like i think that's what yeah. fascinates me so much about um i was about, I'm gonna say jazz in general but like not necessarily jazz but just like styles of music where mm. there is that space for being for making those kind of interpretive decisions and like you know, th- there's some amount of it in classic, in contemporary classical music, um, and I think when I write, I want there to be an amount of it, but it's not nearly the same amount as there is in in what you do with Shaman, for, for example. sure. Yeah, yeah, um, and that really fascinates me because I've I, I've seen on like some of your Instagram posts and stuff like that that you've like you you do notate out a score a mm. lot of the time for these things, more so for the piano part maybe, but yeah, like, yeah, and like how do you how do you find that balance in terms of notating versus not notating? Yeah, or, or or between how does that how does that balance for you in terms of like the piece, like how you think of the piece and how you've created the piece, mm. and then how that piece evolves in a live setting? Yeah, a lot of it will evolve in the rehearsal room. So whether it's with Sophie or playing with Milton Mango or um, Kodiak or whatever, there's quite a similar process. Although Kodiak is more orally based and, and we're still writing things down though. So I think, um, I'm quite an analytical dude by nature, yeah. which is sometimes at odds with my creative <laughs> side, you know? Um, so I do like starting with some sort of pretty concrete plan where I can, if it's a, a composition and then take it to whether the musos are um, or the artists. But with with Sophie, when I'm playing with her, um, she'll bring a composition in or I'll bring a composition in. Sometimes they're completely notated and we'll play it all and then kind of dissect it like, oh, maybe loop this part a bit here, vamp on here, or let's chuck a free section in here and then we'll just, you know, be able to cue out of that into the next section here or um, loop this vamp or, or play this part backwards even. We try all kinds of things just to really try and turn the music on its head. Um, but then there's a piece I wrote on our first album, um, not much that is just, uh, it's, I'm pretty sure it's the first track on the Shaman album that is, I've just notated eight different chords and with those chords, I've got, um, various words with them. So it might be like, I think one is like disgust, um, elation, um, 
you know, sadness, yeah. glee, what are just different kind of words. Emotive to, words. Emotive words. Yeah. And that's kind of a bit of an extension from some of the conduction stuff, but just interesting for that piece. It's oriented around like the harmonic decisions I've made with that chord and I've notated, but then there's, a, a, I guess, a, a cue from, from, from a word or, or a theme or something and then how that dictates go. So I like, like, like having that balance between – so I guess that's a good example of that piece. It's like, yeah, it's written and the, the idea is super concrete and you've got yeah. these instructions, but how you follow them, it's like that whole canvas with lines thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, mm. and how far outside the lines or over the lines. Totally, or, or it might even like – end up forming a, a different, different thing kind altogether, of whole yeah. canvassed outline altogether depending yeah, right. on what, what happens and, and all of that. Mm. Okay, cool. That That's a nice segue. You mentioned conduction. Mm-hmm. So you like founded and created the Brisbane Conduction Orchestra, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, on, okay, I, I'm fascinated by conduction. It's not something that I particularly, I kind of, kind of get it but i'd love to like know more about conduction on the on your facebook page you say that the purpose of this orchestra is to explore the methods of anthony braxton and lawrence butch morris um, and their work and research in relation to the art of conduction conduction can be defined as the practice of conveying and interpreting a lexicon of directives to modify or construct sonic arrangement or composition a structure content exchange between composer, conductor, instrumentalist that provides immediate possibilities to alter or initiate harmony, melody, rhythm, tempo, progression, articulation, phrasing, or form by manipulating pitch, dynamics, timbre, duration, and order in real time. Explain. Can you can you t- can you so, like so like talk t- to me about t- TLDR? Yeah. You just throwing shit into the wind and seeing what come comes back essentially. But uh, but uh, <laughs> great, love it. No, the the way I like to to think about it. Um, so I was lucky enough to learn um, the processes of conduction when I was I did the Banff International Jazz Program in twenty sixteen or seventeen. Um, and Taisha Ansori was the facilitator of that there, among many other incredibly. Um, just ama- amazing workshops and, and talks and performances and such. But he would he would conduct a conduction class for the first two weeks of the three-week program. He would do that um, most weeknights and would go there anywhere, would start anywhere between six or seven and, and sometimes finishes finish as late as sort of 11, 12, 1 a.m. kind of thing. Amazing. So these really long-form, um, immersive, meditative, sort of cathartic um musical experiences. Um, so from that, the feeling that that gave me to participate in um, was just absolutely extraordinary. I'd never done anything like it before. So the way I would describe it is the cross-section of uh, classical music meets everything non-classical. So I guess however you interpret that, if that's jazz or yeah. rock or metal or improvised or, or whatever. Um, so so the idea for what, what I wanted to do was start that in Brisbane just because there was nothing like that and the feeling that I know it gives me and the participants is just this it's not quite um, playing in an orchestra and uh, read it, reading music as such, or it's not quite improvising. It's this weird kind of in-between zone and what that evokes sort of emotionally and musically as you play is, is quite extraordinary. Um, so say I'm conducting, Connor, you might be singing. Um, there's a, and again, there's various iterations of the lexicon and the language, um, but there are numerical cues, one to 10, that would uh, stipulate a, a more concrete, um, instruction and how you process that and what decision you make 
that you would will, will predefine form. those. So they're they're kind of set from the language. Um, there's a book called the Book of Condu- the Art of Conduction, which is like a primer for that, which yeah. is really cool that Butch Morris. Um, wrote so in there number one is long notes so if I look at you and I give you a number one and I've got my baton um, and then on the cue of the baton you would make long notes how you see fit to service okay. that musical environment what goes with that is as dynamic cues um, I can I can give you so you know I could preface that cue with like really quiet so you would make really quiet long notes okay um, and then you know obviously raising volume and things like that cutting you off getting you to remember that idea and play it later on so they're the numerical cues so um, number two is accented long notes three is trills four staccato fives intervallic formings six I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> Seven is short attacks. Um, eight is angular attacks and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. they're the numerical cues. I do have a whiteboard as well. So on the whiteboard I could write, you know, I could, um, I could write literally anything at all. Yeah. I could write, um, you know, uh, orange light, which is quite pertinent to the morning. I, I, I had uh, <laughs> cu- cu- before we did this podcast, um, I could write orange light and it's like, all right, how do you respond to that musically? I could write win RSL or I could write what's your happiest memory. I could write what's your saddest memory or, you know, and you could form a bit of a narrative too from right. that. So I've done um, conducted rehearsals where like, I remember we did one a couple of years ago and it was more uh, uh, that that rehearsal in particular was way more avant-garde than they normally are and they're normally pretty fucking weird but um you know we started with front door and then it was opening the door then it was walking in then it was kitchen then I was giving cues out like to so I had a sax player I gave him a cue of um a kettle so he was making kettle sounds and a flute player I gave her a cue of um, like a kitchen whisk and, and trying to create all these kind of different sounds to help convey a story. Um, so it's kind of as abstract as you want it to be, but in saying that it can be more, um, I guess, more uh, story-based or have more of a trajectory. I mean, it's entirely up to the way, like when I start, people always say to me, what do you think about when you're doing conduction? I'm like, nothing, as long as I can think of the first command. Yeah. It's just a feedback loop and I'm feeding off yeah, right. everyone. So, so it's kind yeah. of like, it's because I, I, I didn't realize that it had such um, concrete music in the, those, those, that lexicon of, of numerical cues that mm-hmm. it has fairly concrete musical cues that you give and uh, along with very emotive and abstract cues that you can give. And in a way, it, it almost sounds as if like, it's like, you're com- it's it's very composed in a mm. way, but it's composed in the moment. Hundred percent. It's not. It's 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 almost as composed as a score, except that you are writing the notes as they come, in a way. Right? Is that is that kind of yeah? How you- yeah. That's how I that's how I feel about it. I guess um, part of the the thrill for doing that is because I don't know what is going to happen. Yeah. And that's that. And because it's such a a large beast, like there's so many different people that can be playing in in the group and how many do you have in the group generally generally between i'd say like seven and 20 okay just depending yeah, on yeah. who's available and that kind of stuff and then what comes with that's different instrumentation and then um a really cool thing about what i loved about doing it in banff was there people i were playing i was playing with that i mightn't have known that well and you, you do this immersive two three four hour long conduction experience with them and then you finish and then everyone's feeling so happy and it's a big cathartic release that you know i've just 
played with this p- person and we had this really cool thing happening musically and it kind of breaks down some sort of boundary in terms of a social thing. You feel like you can just skip the shit and like really just surface level conversation and then just dive into something yeah. straight off the bat. And that's what I found with having noticed in, in, in Brisbane to a far lesser extent, cause that was a, a big group of like 70 people, but seeing people meet that might've not already meet and then pro, yeah. uh, met before, sorry. And then people that have started new projects and all these different walks of life of people that may not even really hang out that much socially, yeah. but then they can come together. And and what I like about a lot of it too is, and yeah, you know, you could make the narrative of, of, of it, you know, political or, or, or current or topical or whatever. I, I really try and steer clear of that. There have been some where some conductions were like, I remember doing a gig at the Bearded Lady and I was really fucking pissed off about the bushfires and it was pretty yeah. oriented around, around that, you know. But I, I do like generally with conduction that it is largely void of any of that kind of pretense and that's really amazing because everyone's there, they're same common goal, expressing themselves and anyone playing in that project can just do their thing. It doesn't matter if you've studied or that's a whole other thing. I hate the whole stigma of you have to study to to be a musician. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's totally. I, I absolutely hate that. Um, well, it just excl- like everyone can be a musician if they if they give it a chance. If they and yeah. if they're if they're allowed to, if they feel like they're allowed to, hundred percent. Like yeah. I want to get kids along to it. I love to get because at the end of the day, we all improvise. Like a lot of people say, oh, I don't improvise. It's like, well, every time you brush your teeth, you know, every time you walk from maybe your house to the bus station, you're taking a different series of steps. There's like subconscious improvisation happening all the time, whether we're aware of it or not. I love the brushing the teeth one because it connects back to, um, I think, the second or third podcast in the series Mm. and um, Flora was chatting to Jodie Rottle. Yeah, yeah. um, And about the first time she composed. And the first time she composed is she was humming along with her toothbrush, her electric toothbrush, and her partner was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah. And then she ended up writing it into a piece. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Everything keeps coming back to the toothbrush. But, yeah, just things like in terms of improvisation being inherent and then just people exploring that in what way they see fit. So I've had... um, a really dear friend of mine, Chloe McAllister, who's an awesome artist who's done a lot of the Milton artwork, most of the Milton artwork and some uh, – all the Milton artwork, sorry, I should say, now that I think about it, yeah. and, and posters and, and other things for gigs for Artist Catharsis and whatnot. Um, so she did a live sketch while we were performing one day. So I'd, I'd love to um, get dancers involved and, and um, poets or basically all creatives that you know yeah. share that common interest of just – doing what they do and that's all that is asked of the group like whatever yeah. you do just fucking do that and be confident in it and just go for it yeah yeah mm. i did um uh last time i was in the states uh wasn't quite conduction but we but um a friend and like my circle of friends in boston would host these um kind of free improv sessions and mm. we'd all turn up with whatever instrument we'd have and um and I, I, some of them I, I would play. Some of them I'd play like a synth app on my iPad um, and then be like a friend on cello and a friend on, on double bass or whatever. Or some, and he'd have a couple of friends who were dancers come over mm. or he'd always have like loads of butcher's paper and crayons and stuff like that. Nice. And we'd sit for like two hours, um, not talk and just kind of just do. And like most of the, and like, and like he wasn't, a, a musician sure like he he was interested in music yeah, he loved yeah that kind of stuff but he wasn't a musician a couple of the people were like classically trained musicians a couple of them were just like friends who had a guitar yeah and like it's so interesting seeing people just like be allowed to 
just do and just improvise. Hundred percent. And the the choices they make, whether they're like inherently technical or not, or what, like all of yeah. that's out the window. Like you're not really thinking. Yeah. At least in my experience, you're just trying to make the most primordially emotional response to what's happening. Like at least in those settings, for yeah, me, yeah. it's just like this release of. And it's hard to get into that mindset sometimes when you're doing that. But I feel like when you're so in it. That's why I love it so much. It's just like this, the most pure sort of creative release that yeah you can you can do. Yeah, it was fascinating for me doing that, especially. Well, I found it like really fascinating for myself as someone who's like classically trained, mm. but hasn't really performed like as a as a performer in um like eight years or something like that. For um, sure, yeah, or maybe yeah. occasionally singing, but like not not much, and in, mm. a, in a long time. So it was really interesting for me to like. One perform, but to just like be back in like a performer mindset, but also just like creating and like different headspace. It's a very different headspace, and it's and I think for classical musicians, especially, it's somewhat um, it's almost been it's been taught out of you a little bit, right? Okay, um, it was interesting listening to um, uh, one of the other podcasts with um, Louise King. Yeah. That, um, you know, fantastic cello teacher from um, the Sunshine Coast um, and educator. And she was saying that in every one of her lessons, she allows, she does like an improvised session, but she just like lets the student make sound Mm. for like five, five minutes. It's just like, go ahead, make any sounds for five minutes and like, and like giving them that permission yeah, which is fascinating because like, I think that's so important. Just to add, add a caveat to that, I think with a lot of like all my lessons, I try and get kids or adults or whoever to do a, a similar thing. Yeah, because um, I know when I was growing up, I didn't even really it didn't really occur to me like maybe until I was thirteen or fourteen. So I'd been learning drums kind of semi half ass ishly. Yeah, it wasn't you know really that into it until I got a bit older. Because then I had context. I realized that I could improvise and could yeah. make things. And it's like, oh, you're allowed to do that, which seems so weird. But unless, especially at those really formative ages for kids where, um, yeah, you you know, your minds are so malleable. And, like, I was not aware that that was a thing in terms of making your own music or improvising or, or that kind of thing. So as soon right. as that started happening for me, I just got so much more into music. And it seems that... A lot of the kids that I'm teaching, much like it sounds like in Louise's experiences, yeah, is yeah. that you know, you've got to make it apparent that yeah, you can do that, and that's fine, yeah. and express yourself, you know. Yeah, totally. Mm. It's it's because it's it's also really interesting talking to like classical performers yeah. who try composing at some point in time, like post. Like I was talking to to Kieran, um, uh, other dots and loops director, as you know, yeah, and yeah. like he, um, you know classical violist played viola his whole life and he for his last album he commissioned a bunch of works but he was one of them was collaborating with lalka who's a fantastic pop singer producer electronic artist incredible and the process for that was less of her composing it and more him jamming and him kind of writing it and it wasn't until after that that he was like oh i i can i can write yeah right like especially for my own instrument i've played this forever i know what works i understand Mm. how it works i can i can write but he didn't like feel comfortable like calling himself a composer or like doing that i I struggled with that for a long time in terms of me you know identifying uh, as a composer is sort of something i I really do um 
partly because I just always thought as a drummer I could I couldn't write and um, there was a, there was a piece I wrote um, I think first year of con that no one wanted to play or look into and yeah, it, right. was, it was quite difficult but I just thought it was shit and I just shelved it for a long time and then it was really disheartening for me because I'd put so much work into this piece I'd always mucked around with bits and pieces and then I pulled it out with Milton Man Go like two years ago, and it ended up being the lead single from our last album that was right. a finalist at the Queensland Music Awards. <laughs> As, and, like, that's awesome. a really re, like a really just nice personal moment for me, which I think it's important that we should stop and have these occasionally, you know. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. It's like that song I thought was the worst thing ever and no one wanted to look into it at that time. Because yeah. like, you were a drummer and not yeah, like a composer and, and that was, or that was a big thing for me looking back. It's like I'm really glad I persevered with that and, and did that. And yeah. I, I don't know about for you, Connor, but when I'm writing – a lot of stuff, I, I tend to not really throw anything out no matter how terrible I think the idea. Like I'll, I'll yeah. just keep a, a log of most, I've a, probably I've a 90% folder. of what I yeah. do and then there's some stuff where it's like, what is that? Goodbye, you know, yeah. delete from the earth. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, most of the things I'm just keeping and hanging on to because for, yeah. for instances like that where part of that may, may be able to form something else or, or whatever. Totally get that about like, you know, caring and keep holding on to things and like coming back to them. But actually one of the things that really revolutionized my ability to write and develop craft and like, um, and practice at it and not think things were crap mm. was actually being okay with writing things that might be crap. For you sure. know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm totally all about that, um, that mindset, especially, you know, when, when I started, like, taking composing really seriously as mm. this is probably going to be, the hopefully, the thing that I hope I can make a living out of, yeah. is being okay with sitting down at my desk or at my piano or whatever and writing five for a day and, like, writing, you know, setting myself a quota. Like, mm. I'm, I'm going to write two minutes worth of music. I'm going to write, a, like, 50 bars for or sure. something. And at the end of the day, I can look at that and it might be good and I keep it and it might be terrible and I trash it or move it into that folder. But, like, getting into the practice of being okay with it potentially not mm. being good. I, I love I, – I call that, like, the irony and I call it forced creativity. Yeah, like I do, exactly. I, I, lo exactly I love that. that kind of thing, though. Like, I love having pressure or a time frame. Not that – I mean, everyone's different and works in different ways, but I, I really respond to that. Same. Like, more often than not, if there's 100%. pressure and I've got a deadline, it keeps me accountable. Well, you know? like deadline, I, definitely. I always work way better in the, the push towards a deadline. Mm. But, like, it's also just, like, in the same way, in terms of writing, in the same way that a violinist would practice, you know, three hours a day or whatever, mm. um, and, you know, they're going to do their scales, they're going to play the piece a few times, they're going to do some warm-ups and exercises and whatever, yeah. but they just practice, like, being able to play the violin mm. for that amount of time. It's the same thing of, like, sitting down and um, being able to write yeah. for a day. For sure. Even if the writing, even if 
at the end of the day, you don't end up using any of that in the thing that you were trying to write. The process, um, the routine. Exactly. Because I, I, I'm, you know, I, I really do enjoy routine. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I, I don't think, I don't want to generalise, but I think with a lot of creative people, at least I know they're not really in a lot of routine. Some are, some aren't. Yeah. But different approaches, right? And I try and sort of toe the line between the both. Like yeah. when I'm working and I'm, I'm doing um, drum, uh, drum teaching in schools or privately or, or whatever, that is very routine right down to the yeah. 10, 15, 20 minutes of free time in a day and things mm-hmm. like that. But a day like today where I've got the whole day off, it's like yeah. do what I feel. So I yeah, really yeah. like that juxtaposition and, I, and I, I crave that. Hey, I love having that. I like having a, I like having a routine. That I can, mm. that I know, one, it keeps me accountable to myself that I'm going to be doing work and I'm going to be doing things. But then within that routine, having space to just, to jam. Deja like, vu. Yeah, that's exactly um, what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Anna, with like, um, you know, if there's say a, an office worker that might work an eight hour day or nine to five or yeah. something, me trying to think <clears throat> if I've got a day where I can be working nine to five, you know, yeah, yeah. for lack of a better you know, um, word or, or, or whatever, you know, have that nine to five time period, but within that being free and creative. So yeah. you've got that restraint, but within that restraint is freedom. Yeah, in, yeah, exactly. In a way, you know. Or I like, got, yeah. it's a strange, a strange um, silver lining to mm. this lockdown, COVID, all the rest of it, is that I have the most regular like life schedule than I've ever had, you know, without all the traveling and yeah. things as I've developed. Are you enjoying that? Like, in a, is it nice? It's been really, um, cause you haven't had it before. I've never, I've time, never right? had that, that mm. regular uh, schedule and like for, for, especially for this extended period. And it's been, um, it's been really productive in a mm. way. And like, it's been like, you know, this, you know, and the stresses of COVID and all the rest of it, like yeah. that, you know, affected things, but like, it's been surprisingly productive, but yeah, I've been making sure that I, you know, I'm up at this time. I have my coffee. I'm, I, I am in my office by, you know, X, X time, time of the day, mm. write emails for the first hour, create, and then like have like, you know, over, I, I recently got into hardware synthesizers. And nice. so like I've put it aside. 10 hours t- later. <laughs> hours later and a lot of money later but anyway um <laughs> but like i i put aside you know every second day or whatever mm. that i'm just gonna like sit around and you know noodle around on on my synth for like a half hour or yeah. an hour just to like you know it's not really towards anything other than just like being musical do, do but you like, set a timer in that context so say if i like i used to make the the really bad mistake when i was at con say in first year second year mm-hmm. and, and probably even a lot of third year where i'd be like all right i have an hour to practice i need to do half an hour of this 15 minutes of this and i found that i was practicing a lot and a lot of things but not giving them as much time and or, or detail like you know i'd now uh, yeah. if i've got I might have, say, three hours to play and I'll play and I'll be working on this idea or thing and I'll do that until it's feeling really good and then to a point where I think, okay, I could use this in a, a real-life musical context yeah. and then move on to something else. So that might be 20 minutes or it might be an hour and a half. Like I try not to put time limits on those things where I'm exploring a new technique or concept, but it's hard because, yeah. you know, I know what you mean. where you draw the line. Like I you, think with yeah. the synth stuff... Just because that's a completely new thing for me mm. and I'm not trying to do it to have a, um, a like, concrete, you know, uh, 
work-related outcome. For sure. Like, it's yeah. it's just a hobby currently. Mm. Like, I'm sure at some point in time it'll, it'll evolve, it'll become part of, like, my artistic practice that's, like, a world and, like, work thing. Yeah. But, like, at the moment, it's just for fun. Yeah, and yeah. so at the moment, no, I'm not putting any time limit other than Fantastic. I have an hour now to, yeah, to yeah. do something. It's just for fun. I'm sure at some point. And, like, but in the same way, I'm also not work trying to work on a thing till it's good enough to use mm. it's like i'm okay we're just doing some stuff and whatever kind of comes but then comes. what would come from that process to affect your other creative processes oh, or, yeah, totally. or even just other facets of life like i'm constantly thinking about how even a, a really memorable conduction rehearsal or the content that was in that or, or milton or shaman or, oh yeah or, totally or whatever how that's affecting other things. The other I'm project. Aware and, yeah. Or, or, yeah, musical and non-musical, you know? Yeah, yeah aware, totally. Aware I think that's one not. of the things that most um, gets me as a composer is, mm. like, is is um, thinking about how the things I've created and come up with or been interested in in one kind of facet of my musical or artistic process, mm. how that could translate or or ripple into like another facet like how is the stuff that i'm creating with these you know weird modular synthesis things how does that affect the string quartet that i'm writing mm. or whatever like how can i like these weird ideas and those sounds what's the analog in, yeah. in a string I quartet and not like- necessarily like trying to notate it out but just mm. like thinking about those same concepts of like I don't know, in, in like, you know, additive synthesis and subtractive mm. synthesis, how does that affect like the way you think of um, bow position or like For sure. and, and it's color? It's like how or why or does it? Or is, like, does or, it, or is or it like uh, you or I in whatever, you know, um, relative scenario? Like are we aware of what it's doing? Is it is it something that's happening that you're not even – that's happening subconsciously? Yeah, you know, yeah. I've, which is, you know, like things with my composing I find that – I'm getting a little bit of that. I'll, I'll write a song and then look back on it and go, oh, that rhythm or idea was from that time I mucked around with this or that's where it's from or stuff yeah. that I, you know, you kind of, I find that, I, and I really enjoy that when I look back on something and then it's long after the process that I realise the genesis of where it all came from. I think that's such a benefit to having like multiple creative outputs mm. and allowing yourself to like freely move between different creative outputs is that they more readily than like a creative mm. output in a day job, although that does. Yeah, but like you, it allows for like cross pollination of things, even if it's just subconsciously, and it yeah. helps you be like I, I, I um, I resist the word um, inspired a lot mm. of the time. Like a lot of you know, especially with composers, they come up to you and like people ask you like you know what inspires you, and I don't really think about that much in my music because if you're like. Not that inspiration isn't great. Inspiration's great. If you get hit by inspiration to like do it, to like come up with a thing, great. But like if you're waiting for inspiration, then you're just gonna wait for a long time, right? For sure. But like I think of inspiration more in terms of just like how like various things kind of subconsciously, unnoticeably kind of bleed into each other mm. and they kind of fuel you it's like like that feedback loop of conduction of like doing and hearing and coming back Mm. it's that but like larger and continuous i I think for this is probably the most esoteric statement of my life but (laughs) like um inspiration like is life like i try to think that trying to find you know that um that motivation or, or or excitement or um I guess, uh, 
I'm trying to use a word that's not inspiration. That's why I'm, that's what my brain's looking for. Yeah, right. You know, that, getting that impetus to carry out that creative idea from even the most basic general things yeah. in, in life. So, like, I wrote a – there's a Milton song we're working on at the moment that's called Three Action Formula, and I literally read it off a shampoo bottle. Like, it has no <laughs> – I have a lot of titles and pieces it, that I just – words but, but off what, of. What yeah. came of me writing that song was like, oh, I'm going to write this, like, cool up, you know cool, – uh, I'd, I'd like it to sound cool. <laughs> um, you know, up-tempo, sort of like contemporary jazzy kind of thing because I was like, all right, what would a shampoo bottle like jazzy commercial sound like? Like really dumb idea, but the process was great, you know, and I've come out with a really cool thing or like more recently, like, because I admittedly feel like a really big imposter composing because like my, my instrument is predominantly drum kit, right, and percussion. Yeah. Um, so I've done all my jazz theory and, and I get and understand all that, but I'm really slow and I'm really shit at actually applying it because I'm not really proficient on a melodic instrument in terms of, of yeah, reading right. treble and bass. Like I'm okay, okay at best, you know, but you, you give me a drum or percussion part, I can sight read it and that's that's fine because that's what I, I do and I love doing and, you know, yeah, yeah. put work totally. in that. Um, so it's interesting when I'm composing, I, I will, you know, think of a feeling or emotion or thing I want to write about and then I'll kind of work with scales or modes or, or rhythms that will help me to convey that that I think will best help me convey that feeling and idea. And that's literally it for me with composing. That's yeah. how, and I, I you know. Um, totally, but you give it a go and you like put a little bit of time and allow th- yourself to do yeah, it. I put so, so much time into it and it's all, you know, I like I would look at some compositional decisions I've made at the end and, and look at all the theory and analyse and I'll be like, oh, this doesn't really make sense in that's terms fine. of. That's fine. It doesn't need to make it sense. That's what I kind of um, learn. It's like you can do what you want as long as you can justify it and it services the the song and it and it yeah. fits and it and it you know it, it works for you. The justifying a thing doesn't even need to be there as well. Mm. Like, yeah, I'm more mean justifying it to myself. Yeah, you right, know? right. Yeah, yeah, but I agree with you. Yeah, In, yeah. It's it's interesting. That's why I love conduction so much because it's in real time and I feel way more. I love that instant, instantaneous compositional or storytelling process. Um, but then also admittedly wanting to understand and know and appreciate more about the, the, the history and the background of, of improv- improvising and, and, and jazz music and, and that kind of thing. Cause it, yeah. it all sort of stems from there. So trying to be really aware of, of, of that too, cause you know, it's something that's, it's really important and that's what I want to look at with my study for honors and hopefully yeah. doctoral stuff over the, yeah, cool. Yeah, psychology of improvisation and the history of it and, and really unpacking, you know, that's just like a snapshot of what I'll be looking at. So, yeah. As a performer, as, as, as a drummer, as a performer, how do you find, like, that, that those, those shifts between, like, performing notated music and jazz and band and conduction. Yeah. Like I think for example, like, okay. So for the last dots and loops concerts that you've been involved in, you've performed um, the drum kit part in Kate Moore's fatal strangers, which yep. is a fully notated out mm. thing. Like, how do you find, how did you find approaching that? I, I absolutely love that. It, after that, the whole experience was, was unbelievable. And I had such a good time, um, you know, just irrespective of the music, like the whole process was incredible. But the actual piece itself, it, it made me feel like I was back in an orchestra again and I loved that feeling of yeah. like, for me, it's like, dude, read the dots. You know, <laughs> I don't do that enough to my detriment. Like I love just, you know, yeah, yeah. 
you know, like admittedly, which is part of the territory a of a lot of things all the time. I just go pretty ham, you know. That's kind but of that's my, part of my the style. territory of like prog rock bands it, it, and yeah, and jazz exa- exactly. And, yeah. and I think getting better at making more, um, you know, um, measured musical choices and decisions just through you learning and that. But that process was so good because I, I think part of the reason why I'm you know, doing a lot of things, obviously not all the time when I'm playing or mixing up or whatever is because I, I, I feel like I have to be doing, you know, that's my biggest detriment as a, as a, as a musician is that, you know, always having to feel like you have to do something or something different. Right. And with conduction, so much room for, for space and, 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 that, and, you know, having variance in, in instrumentation or, or, pitch or timbre or, or rhythm or whatever so with with um fatal strangers having to write and play and having really specific dynamics written and 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 yeah. you know that's such a long piece i think it's about 14 15 minutes it's a big piece so just having my eyes glued to a chart for that long was was just really really refreshing and i loved it because i haven't done that in so long so it was yeah and the, the actual part i was playing was quite a Typically, something you would see in a contemporary prog jazz kind of yeah. realm because it was a, it was just varying polyrhythms coming in and out, and some different um, other sort of builds and crescendos and decrescendos and that. So, and then from that process, I took you know a lot of the compositional techniques used there, specifically in the drum part, also with the ewe part as well, the electronic wind instrument, and taking how sitting on. Rhythms with minimal melodic variance for long periods of time can be super effective. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. Well, got, just like got that. Interested yeah. in like how you find the approaching those different kinds of music mm-hmm. and like how they kind of affect you as a performer and like shifting between them. How like those experiences kind of affect yeah. you as a performer. I um. So with. The, I'll sort of go through a few of the bands quickly, I guess, and how they make me feel and how I respond musically. So found in Trees, metal band with my best mates from, from high school. We don't play that often. When we do, it's like more of a hang. You know, we're yeah. playing in that, and if we were all around more, we'd put more time into that band. But that's just like a cathartic release of just that's built on years of friendship and why we all started playing music, you know. So yeah. that's a different kind of thing kodiak is you know definitely quite similar um but it's me playing the music that i most listen to i'd say yeah you know in terms sort like of I'm listening, prog- progressive rock. proggy yeah. rock experimental kind of kind of stuff and yeah. that really passionate about the australian prog sound not only that but the australian improvised um experimental sound so really enjoy that shaman is amazing for many um, different reasons, partly because Sophie is one of the most extraordinary people. She's an incredible pianist. Um, artist, music, yeah. you know, and, and really kicks my ass every time we go and play. Like I'll write out these just ridiculously silly charts that she can sight read, sight read and I'm like there like, all right, I need to learn my own piece. This is cool. Um, so that is just, I feel like our styles are so competitive, combative in a good way. We're just kind of like musically dueling and going, just pushing each other so much. So I love that. And then because that is through composing parts and then has elements of free improv or soloing over forms, that's an extremely cathartic band where, you know, I, I, I joke with mates about I've got bands where I have my eyes open and bands where I have my eyes closed. <laughs> right. So, okay. you know, which is like the eyes closed thing is full improvised, yeah. like, you know, 
out-of-body experience kind of thing where the eyes open thing is playing more set tunes like Kodiak or Voltazash or, yeah. you know, not where I don't get elements of that in there. But I just find that interesting, those two yeah. mindsets. Um, That's such a fun way of putting it. Yeah. I, I totally get what I, you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, because when I have – you, you might have seen me play like some sort of free improv kind of yeah. stuff. My eyes roll back into my head and I look like <laughs> I'm possessed. It's quite hilarious. Um, but with, yeah, with Milton Man Go, that's a really good combination of like such good mates playing improvised music um, that is um, grounded in, in, in form and, and that kind of thing. And that has a clear aesthetic as well, which is really cool. But I think the like I really do love playing free free improvised music with people that are super passionate about it. Yeah. Like when I, there's not too much of that exposure at the con when I went through at least. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure what's happening there now. Um, I think it's all kind of coming in a bit more, which is cool. Um, but I never like used to know anything about it. And admittedly, it's quite hard to listen to, at least for me and a lot of people I seem to talk to, they love hearing it live. It's more yeah. of a thing. You've got to oh, see totally live experience li- and yeah, feel yeah. and, you know, not to say that I do listen to a lot of free, you know, improvised kind of kind of music. Um, and, and, but it's so and much things. about the moment. It, it, um, it, it is. Yeah. And so playing and like with, being in the room. Like when I was playing, I was lucky enough to go to Tassie a couple of years ago and, and I was on Bruni Island for a week with Scott Tinkler and Yulia Schwing um, and I met them at uh, the Creative Music Intensive in Tasmania in 2018 yep. at Taralea um, and just playing free music with people that, are just so strong about their ideas and what they want to do. Um, but then still talk about it too, which I've found prior to that, that I'd play free improv music and, and no one would really want to talk about it at all. Or like, you know, they're kind of like, wouldn't even try and set some sort of, right some sort of parameter as if like, you know, not that you want to kind of set a parameter on that kind of thing, or maybe you do, but having some sort of common goal, you want to le- at least having some sort of discussion or yeah, yeah. just being, I, I think with that kind of music, in my experience, like I always get the best results when I'm playing with really good friends because yep. there's that that connection there and then yeah. you know how they sound and all of that. Um, but the, the most profound musical experience I've had was, um, it was the first week of, Bamf and I was totally shitting myself because <laughs> I just didn't feel like I'd belong there. Like when I got the admission thing, I would like rang them multiple times. I'm like, are you sure? Because I just, you know, oh. I was like, yeah, yeah. It was like, <laughs> it wasn't until the third week of me there I felt like I truly belonged. Yeah. It was a bit too late, you know. <laughs> I, I was really proud of what I did there, but, you know, I'm just trying to yeah, yeah, know, I, mix it with literally so many the, the world's new people best in and, that. Yeah. yeah, and I'm just like this dude from Australia, you know, playing a bit of drums. Um, but we had this um, – so I had this really awesome ensemble director, Robin Eubanks, um, just an incredible jazz trombone player who started SF Jazz Collective and, and crazy stuff. And he um, took our ensemble the first week and everyone in the group was a bit nervous and hesitant and excited and scared and, and all the things you, you can feel and um, had this mate of mine – Ethan, who's a lovely bass player from Canada and an incredible dude. And we kind of just didn't get on at first. I don't know if we were both a bit stressed or, um, you know, kind of like yeah. it was just an interest. not to go into it too, it's kind of a byproduct of the story. But we we basically, I remember on the, the Tuesday or the Wednesday, it was Ethan and I and Robin in the room and Robin's like, hey, I'm doing my workshop tomorrow. Do you and Ethan want to get up and play blues? And I was like, 
cool, let's do it. And I was like, oh, do you want to just have a bit of a play and get to know each other's style? He's like, no, nah, man, it'll be sweet. It's a blues. And I'm just like shitting bricks because it's like the first workshop performance in front of all the staff yep. and all the participants. And and then um, Robin's doing his workshop and then Vijay Iyer, who's the, the, the director of the co-directed, I believe now, the, the, Banff, the, the jazz program, he gets up with Robin and they start playing free. I'm like, oh, cool. So I just like slouch back in my chair. I'm like, guess I'm not playing. You know, what's going on here? And I was just like so nervous. Like I don't get nervous at, at all, but like that yeah, program that setting. was yeah. like huge. Like, you know, I haven't felt nervous at a performance in probably four or five years outside yeah. of that week. I just felt so overwhelmed. I'm like, you know, anyway, rah, rah, rah. And then um, they're playing free and I'm sitting there and like I look out the window and I like just see like a deer, like a shit you not like running down this hill and there's snow there. and there, Sorry, not snow. There was like wind coming down, yeah. like leaves going everywhere. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm here. This is really cool. Yeah. Um, and I just started feeling, feeling this massive wave of gratitude and all this kind of stuff because I, I feel like you lose sight of that sometimes in really stressful situations, yeah. you know. Um, Robin and VJ are playing. Robin looks at Ethan and sort of signals towards him to come to the stage, and I'm like, oh, fuck, that means I'm next. Hmm. And then he signals to me, and I remember walking up and just playing free, like free improvised stuff with them. Yep. And I've got it recorded, which is an awesome personal, not that I would share it or put it anywhere, but it's a great personal thing of like, you know, it was the most out-of-body experience I've ever felt playing. Like, I felt like I was on the roof looking down at myself <laughs> yeah. while I was playing. It's this full thing that I've experienced in uh, partially since then, but not to that extent. Yeah. And, like, I was so nervous and freaking out. But when, once I got up there and was playing with these, you know. Legends, yeah. Legends, yeah. I just, everything just went, you know. And I think that feeling that, um, you know, and that was cool. And then by the end of it, we're all, Everyone's yelling and screaming and cheering and looked at Ethan. We'd had a pro- problematic couple of days and yeah. we just both gave each other a big hug. Yeah. So, yeah. And then we were just mates. We're having beers that night. It's like just crazy how free music or c- conduction or music in that kind of realm can just bring people together in yeah. ways that irrespective of background or differences or, you know, and that's something I'm really passionate about um, to try and to facilitate more of. Totally, it's a really and, kind and, of magical and, thing, and, and ranked yeah. over ten. But yeah, that, that, yeah, that was just a, a really formative experience for me, and why I play so much free free music. Ben, do you have a favourite Dots and Loops memory? Favourite Dots and Loops memory? Well, when I first got involved and um, it seemed too good to be true, it was um, contact from Kieran um, basically saying, hey, do you want to play this crazy notated um, polyrhythmic yeah. classical, yeah, Kate Moore's Fatal Strangers uh, d- down, in, down in Melbourne and, and up, up in Brisbane? I was like, ah, sure, um, what do I need to do? You know, how much do I, like... Yeah. Do I need to book flights? No, it's like, no, it's all paid for. Rah, rah, rah. So just how professional everything is and how it's a, a proper organisation and just proper lovely people doing great things and just, you know, in, in, a, in a niche environment, which that's what 
you know, I really resonate with. That's all I'm trying to do and that that's what, yeah. you know, all you folks are trying to do as well. So, um, but that performance was because I was like so excited for that because I hadn't played notated music in that long and it was just a really, really fucking awesome performance. And Yeah, and it's and, such a killer piece. And felt a really crazy exhilaration with it that I hadn't got in the rehearsal room. Yeah. That's something I miss. One of the biggest things I miss because of COVID is not performing as much yeah, right. and missing totally. that performance um, energy and that performance stamina. It's a different thing, yeah, yeah. I think. It feels really different. But anyway, that piece, I remember the last, I think there's like eight or nine bars at the end where it's like, it's this 2-4 thing and it's building and it's like you've got to count the bars and I'm only playing eighth notes like a bass drum and a crash and then, a, and then another bass drum, you know. And it's just like that sort of pattern going for however long. The simplest thing, but it felt so exhilarating. I felt like my heart was about to fucking fly out of my <laughs> chest because it's like this thing, but I can't – got to get my bars right and play nine bars of the exact same thing and then finish, you know, something that is typically, you know, somewhat easy, I, I guess. But it's, it's – it's, it's, But it was fucking hard. Yeah, yeah. it was really hard. Totally. Um, so, yeah, that whole experience was just awesome. Loved it. Yeah. And it was, I didn't get to see that. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to be at that one because I was overseas. But that, uh, you playing it again last year was awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic to um, get a chance to play it again. And I jumped at the, the opportunity to do yeah. so when, when I was asked. Awesome. Yes, yeah, so it was well, very cool. Yeah, it was amazing having you at Nonstop. And we can't wait until next time you can be on the Dots and Loop stage again, hopefully soon. Yeah, looking forward to uh, hopefully later in the year. Yeah. It'll be, uh, be good fun. So Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ben, for having me in your blanket fort. Um, no worries. I should keep it permanently set up, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's, it's, nice it's a nice little setup. Just nice need little a little air conditioner in and, uh, yeah, and yeah, a, fri- and a nice, fridge. Well, if only like the blanket would like get over the TV. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks very much. No worries. Thank you so much for having me, Connor, and the Dots and Loops team. And, um, yeah, it's been a pleasure, and thanks for listening. This episode of Joining the Dots was made possible with the support of our funding partners, the Australia Council for the Arts and the Australian Cultural Fund and our patrons. A huge thank you to our editor, Dan Kasilke, to Madeline Kokolis, who created the beautiful theme music, and to Chris Perrin for his graphic design wizardry. To stay in the loop, like and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also sign up to our email newsletter on our website, dotsandloops.com.au, to be notified of new episodes and hear everything that we're up to. Until next time, make sure you check out the Joining the Dots video tutorial series, which you can find on our YouTube channel. And... Thank you, dear listener, for joining us on Joining the Dots. Please share with your family, friends, the art lovers in your life, your dog, your cat, you never know, they'll probably love it.